Let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. friend who taught in a Christian school, and uh, when one student was bad, she said, why don't you sit here and write out Psalm 119, don't stop till you're finished. And he said, oh, Psalms, great, I can do that. And he was there the entire afternoon writing out Psalm 119, okay? If you're able, would you stand with me, and we'll read today the first five verses, really we'll read the first eight verses today. Heavenly Father, come upon us today and open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would understand your word, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, so that we can live it out, we can know what it says, and we can put it into practice. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 119, Aleph. We'll explain that in a moment. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness, they walk in his ways. Thou hast ordained thy precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep thy statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all thy commandments. I shall give thanks to thee with uprightness of heart when I learn thy righteous judgments. I shall keep thy statutes, do not forsake me utterly." This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now the Psalms in in general are really a description of the Christian soul. I mean that we see every aspect of our hearts laid bare for us in what the psalmists are writing. Uh, Most of the writers, they just lay it all out for us. You know, they just lay it bare. Uh, this is where I am. This is what I'm thinking. Uh, they, they tell us when they're struggling with God. They, they, they tell when they're struggling with themselves. They say when they don't understand God. They even say in some of the precatory psalms, God, I wish you would kill this group of people for me. Have we ever prayed that? Maybe, maybe. I, I, I don't know. The psalm also shows us the way of true piety, of true godliness of true holiness of devotion the way to understand how god is dealing with us in the midst of all of our struggles in the midst of wrestling we we have joys we have tragedies we have trials we have these struggles it's all laid out for us because the writers of the psalms are going through the same types of things that we are and they come to an understanding of what it means to have a life that's devoted to god in the midst of all this I think somewhere, this is where each of us lands. Say, God, I don't have a clue. You know, sometimes in our life, say, God, I don't have a clue what you're doing or why you're doing it, but I see that I'm going through the same types of things that the psalmists are going through, and I can read their words, and I can see their struggles, and I can see that they rested in you, that they had confidence in you, and I'm going to do the same thing until you reveal to me what it is that you are doing in my life. So the psalmist here in 119 teaches us a very important principle that, that really underlies this entire psalm. You ready? God's word 
is exactly that. It is God's word. It's not my word. It's not thoughts about God. When he talks about God's word, he treats it as coming from the mouth of God. When I read the word of God, I need to remember that it is the word of God. It is not, we can't replace it with my opinions. If, if, if sometime you ever hear, you can fire me at this day, okay? Well, you, you might fire me other days, but you can fire me at this day. When I open the Bible and I say, this is God's word and this is what it says. And I go, and I know what it says, but I think this is what we should believe. And if it's contrary to God's word, don't shake my hand on the way out the door. You know, just, just give me this on the way out the door. Okay, because that was, that was this for you over here. Okay? Because this is God's word. And to replace it with the opinions of man is so dangerous. It is so dangerous. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of believers and, and even pastors years ago who would say, well, I know God's word says this, but I believe really we don't care. Okay, you fill in the blank. I don't care what you believe if God's word says this. If God's word says, uh, let's make it simple, okay? God's word says, do not commit adultery. But I believe what he really meant, sorry, it just doesn't, doesn't work, doesn't matter. If he says, this is the way that you should live, and you go, well, I know God wants me to live this way. He wants my life to be patterned off of this. But what I think he really meant to say was this. And what we're doing is we're interpreting it in a way that is much more comfortable to me personally. Okay? Because to follow the things of God can be very difficult in our lives. But if I reinterpret it to fit my life, well, it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Sorry, that just doesn't work. You cannot reinterpret it. If it says to do this, if it says to live this way, then that's how we have to do it. I want to be blessed. How about you? You want to be blessed? Scripture says, this is the way that you are blessed. And what else do we need? Yeah, but, but there are so many other things that could affect my being blessed. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, how blessed, or blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe the testimonies, who seek them with all their heart. They don't do any unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. There it is. You want to be blessed? That's what you have to start with. Boom. Right there. Let's pray. We're done, right? I'll unpack that a little bit more for you, okay, so that you understand that. So let me give you some general facts about psalm 119 so that we understand in general what we're dealing with here it is the longest psalm of the longest book in the bible 176 176 verses uh, and it spends time in fact it spends almost all of its time talking about the importance of the word of god and the word of god is laid out for us as we'll see in, in a couple different words how it's used um, law, testimonies, ways, etc. And I think it's clear that our focus as an example from this psalm should be on the importance of the Word of God. This psalm also is an acrostic. If you look at uh, the first verse above it, you have Aleph. That's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then you go eight verses, and then you get to Baith. That's the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You go eight verses, and you get to Gimel. So if you want to learn the Hebrew alphabet and, and really impress your friends, 
I'm not sure they would really care, but then you can learn the Hebrew alphabet here. Every eight verse, these are eight verse couplets, and that's the way it's laid out as an acrostic. Okay? So, and in each, um, each section, eight verses, all the way through, each section except three, I believe, deals with the word in some fashion. Okay? So you just can't get away from it. It is laid out for us very clearly here the importance of the word of God. Now, throughout history, especially in the 18th and 19th centuries, it was not uncommon that entire congregations would have devoted Psalm 119 to memory. Okay? I'll give you a week. Have it ready next week. Okay? Uh, William Wilberforce, the great uh, uh, member of parliament, the anti-slavery guy, he had it memorized, and it was not uncommon after a particularly bad session of parliament where you would find him walking the streets reciting Psalm 119. Uh, David Livingston had it memorized when he was nine years old. Um, next to Psalm 23, Psalm 119 has the most written about it uh, of all the Psalms. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has almost 400 pages in his commentary. He has 34 sermons on Psalm 119. Uh, the English theologian Charles Bridges has uh, almost 500 pages written about it in his commentaries. And the great Puritan Thomas Manton has more than 1,600 pages in three volumes devoted to this song. I mean, that's a lot of, of stuff written about it. I, you know, it, it might be his life's work devoted to unpacking the words of Psalm 119. So as we've seen, the theme of the psalm is the Word. Now, as I said, it is the Word of God is spoken of in at least five different ways, and we'll only, only cover those five today. The first way that it is spoken of is in the law. And that synonym for the word is used 25 times in this psalm. And when we talk about the law, we are talking, it, it comes with the nuance of teaching. Okay? Of teaching. It can refer to a single command. It can refer to the law as written in the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, or it can re, be referred to as all of Scripture. In the New Testament, it is in John and the writings of Paul, it is often referred to as all of the Old Testament scriptures. The law reveals God's will for us. It reveals how we're to live, how we are to order our lives. And, and since it comes from God, it's not just for academic interests. It's not just so that we can sit and have uh, great intellectual conversations about the law of God. It's about living it out. Okay, we are given the law so that we can live out the law of God. The second synonym would be the his testimonies. His testimonies. This is used ten times in this psalm. And it has, to give a testimony is to bear witness to. So it bears witness to the things of God. It points to the dependability of the word of God as a witness to how God works in this world. Um, it also gives us, uh, often gives us warning as a testimony of things to stay away from. The third synonym is your ways, your ways, and that would be referencing God's ways. Uh, it refers to God's character, it refers to the way that he acts, uh, and it is often contrasted with our ways, okay? Uh, Ten or twelve times we see uh, throughout this psalm and, and, and a couple other that deal with these same issues where it says my way is this way but your way is this way 
and we are to follow your way. And what do we know? That God's ways are not man's ways. Okay, he's got his own way of doing things, and we are to conform to his way. Our job is not to get God on board with the way that we want it done. Our job is to get on board with the way that he wants it done. The fourth synonym is your precepts. Your precepts, and that's used 21 times. And that means to, a precept is, is like a, to oversee it or to pay close attention to it. Um, maybe a particular instruction that is given. Um, it wouldn't be an overarching theme. It would be more of a particular uh, application of God's word. Uh, and this shows us that, that God is not random. He just doesn't throw things out there for you to do. He has particular things for us to do. And when he tells us, this is the way I want it done, that's the way that he wants it done. You can remember back uh, earlier in the Old Testament when uh, the instructions for building the tabernacle were given. And they were very detailed, down to uh, sizes, down to fabrics, down to numbers of things. These were particular precepts from the Lord that the people of the Old Testament were to follow. And then the last one of the five is your statutes. Statutes um, would comes from the word to engrave on stone. So that's like the Ten Commandments would be statutes. Uh, this is used 22 times in this psalm. These are the things which God has given to us which are not transient, which are not temporal, which we do not get to debate with or to think that they don't apply to us now some 3,000 years later. No, these things are the same today and tomorrow and for all times. This is God's word. Live with it. That's what his statutes are. So we're going to break this psalm down or this section down into a couple things. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 yet uh, first. So the question before us is, I want to be blessed. Okay, we've talked about this. How am I to be blessed? How am I to do this? Well, uh, he lays out for us that we have to have a way that is blameless. We have to walk in the law of the Lord. We have to keep his testimonies. We have to seek him with our whole heart and do no wrong and always walk in his ways. Easy, right? Let's, let's just live perfectly and we can be blessed. Uh, how many how many of us live perfectly uh, this morning? Uh, you know, uh, not, none of us. Okay, none of us. Now, we all want to be blessed. So how do we as humans understand this and live this out so that we might be obedient to the things of the Lord and know His blessing? Well, as I said, Psalm 119 kind of acts as an expansion of Psalm 1. Uh, if we were going to uh, take those concepts in Psalm 1, which we read together, and elaborate on them, expand upon them, it would be Psalm 119. And true blessedness are, is lived out by those who walk in the Word of God, those who obey His commandments. Uh, that's, that's the only way. And, and, and our experience confirms this. Okay, Our experience confirms this. Now, it, the way of blessedness is not always the easiest way, let's face it. The way of obedience to God's word is not always the easiest way in this world. There are a lot of ways that are a lot easier to live. Okay? If we just go along to get along with the world, then we can, we can fit right in. We can not have trouble. Um, you know, we're not, we don't go against the grain. If the world says this is what's right and we say, yeah, that's what's right and we just go along. But that's not blessedness as it's defined by God's word. 
Blessedness is walking in His ways, according to His laws, according to His statutes, is obeying Him. And, and man, that's just not, not the easiest thing. I mean, remember when we studied Psalm 73? And a guy named Asaph, and, and he looked upon the, what was the exact word? Um, the, the uh, I was there, I remember, I remember. Uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, how well the non-believers did, okay? <laughs> how well the non- and he was envious. He says, man, I would love some of that. I would love to live like that. And here I am, Lord, I'm trying to be obedient, but I'm envious of those who don't belong to you. I am just salivating after what they have. Well, see, this is, this is one of the problems here. If we think what the world, the non-believers have, is so much better, then we are redefining what blessing is. Every time we, try, we sin and pursue that which we think will help us, we are defining blessing according to our definition and not according to God's definition. How, where is blessing to be found? It's to be found here, in the way that we live according to His Word. Our goals, our motivations, we have, they have to be drawn from Scripture. God's Word says that if we define those things outside of His Word, that's sin. And sin will not bring us the blessedness. Sin might bring us happiness. Okay, we all know that sometimes we have sinned and, and it just felt really good, okay? But that's a temporary thing. That is just for this season. If we want to know blessedness, if we want to know joy, then it is laid out for us in God's Word, okay? Um, we can't say, I've got a better way to do this than God, because He says, this is the way to do it. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who keep His testimonies, who seek Him, who do no wrong, who walk in His ways. Those are all action words. We find here that it's just not enough to know His Word. It's not enough to say, "Ah, I've memorized Psalm 119. Okay, now there is, there is that star on your forehead in heaven when you get there, if you've memorized Psalm 119. But that is not the way to blessedness. Blessedness is having a way, a life that is blameless, walking according to God's Word, keeping God's Word, seeking Him, doing, obeying Him, and walking in His ways. Those are all action words. Okay, They all require us to live out obedience to live out the christian life matthew henry says it will not serve us to make religion merely the subject of our discourse it's not enough just to talk about it we must make it the rule of our walk and to put that in the vernacular you got to walk the talk if you're not going to live it out, if you, I mean, you can just go like this all the time and say what a great thing God is and how blessed you are and how much you love the Lord, but if your walk does not demonstrate it, your talk means nothing. Charles Spurgeon says, No man can claim to be absolutely without sin, and yet we trust that there are many who do not designedly, willfully, knowingly, and continuously do anything that is wicked, ungodly, or unjust. Grace keeps the life righteous as to act even when the Christian has to bemoan the transgressions of the heart. What does that all mean? He gives an example. 
Lot dwelt among the Sodomites. And he was vexed by hearing and seeing their unrighteous deeds. In a word, the children of God are rather sufferers of sin against their will, more so than actors of it by their wills. Sin no longer reigns in the believer's life, but it remains in the believer's life. We see it, we don't like it. Yes, sometimes we pursue it, but we know that it is wrong. Non-believers don't even know that it's wrong. Non-believers don't have any compulsion to do what God says not to do. Verse 4. Let's go there. Thou hast ordained thy precepts that we should keep them diligently it is god's will that we pursue and that we grow in holiness you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently oh that my ways would be here that we should keep them diligently okay now there was a a lawyer senator preacher i don't know if all those things go together today but that's what it was in the 18th century his name was william Plummer. he said in the arrangements of providence and the teachings of scripture everything rightly understood conduces holiness that means that god in his providence in his sovereign action and from his word has laid all these things out for our moving more and more to lives of holiness now it's all there for us there's no reason why we shouldn't be living holy lives except the fact that there's that Randy's will that gets in the way. Okay, I know what the word says. I know what his precepts say. I know what his statutes say. Will I conform my life to that? The word is there so that we can live holy lives. If you don't know the word, you won't live holy life. Just that way it is. You don't know the word. You don't love the word. Your life will not be a reflection of the word. If you have a man-shaped view of holiness, it will not be pleasing to God. God defines holiness for us. He defines how it is that we should live, and that's found in His Word. So to keep His Word, there are three things that we find here in the psalm that we need to do to keep His Word. One is we have to have careful obedience. We have careful obedience to His Word. Keeping His Word is not an accident. We don't walk, wake up one day and say, oh, you know what, I kept His Word yesterday. What a shock. No, it is purposeful. It is careful his law demands that the love of our heart, the actions of our soul and our mind and our strength are about careful obedience. Religion is not a careless thing. Faith is not a careless thing to be lived out willy-nilly. It is to be structured according to his word. To keep God's law requires zealous obedience. Mm. Not just passive obedience but zealous obedience. This has to be something that you really want to do. Why? Because your heart is full of His Word. Because your life is devoted to Him. You have to obey His commands to the fullest. It, it, you have to be zealous about it. And third, to keep God's law means we have to deny ourselves. We see that in Scripture. It's very clear. And we see that in the New Testament. In Jesus' words, you have to take up your cross and follow Him. You have to deny yourself you're in business you understand what it's like you want to get ahead in business man you got to work 12 or 18 hour days and really build that up and make it happen you want to get an advanced degree 
while you're pursuing this advanced degree. Other things in your life have to be put on hold. And, it, and you have to devote all those extra hours to those things to be successful. Spurgeon says, how seldom do men render such devotion to the things of God's word. Mm. Are we that devoted to success in our Christian life that we're going to put aside other things in our lives to block out time each and every day for the Lord? That's what he calls us to. We have to deny ourselves and seek after him. God has not commanded us to be diligent in making our own rules. He has commanded us to be diligent in keeping his. But I like my rules a lot better, don't you? I mean, like your own rules. But he says, no, you have to keep his and do his. And know that there is joy in that obedience. Verse 5, turn over to Romans chapter 7. I'll read verse 5. Romans chapter 7 is really an elaboration on this aspect of it. Verse 5 says that, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep thy statutes. You know, our hearts can be weak. We know what the Word says, but our hearts are weak when it comes to it. And Paul lays this out for us. And I'm, I'm just so pleased that Paul writes this down for us in Romans 7, verse 15. Here you have wrote Paul. I mean, Paul's the man. He, he would not say this. He'd say he's the chief of sinners. But we look back at him and see probably the greatest Christian of the first century beyond Christ. Verse 15 of chapter 7. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it's good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. There it is. The wishing is present, but the doing is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. See, that's the classic Christian. We're, we're in this, this, uh, this tension. I know what I'm supposed to do. Why don't I go do it? Because the other thing looks so good but it's only temporary. And even Paul struggled with this. And he, I mean, he, he went off for three years and was taught by the Holy Spirit in the desert. I mean, him and the Lord, just like this. But yet he struggled with sin in the same way that we do. And we see this here, flip back to Psalm 119, and here's a tension we get to, get to we'll jump down to verse 8. He says, I shall keep your statutes. Don't forsake me. Okay, He says, I'm going to keep them. But then he cries out to the Lord, don't leave me. Don't forsake me. You can't leave me here. Verse 6, I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. I will learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Don't forsake me. Sin leaves us with a an option. And John Owen lays it out. He says, you have to be killing sin or it will be killing you. Just think about that for a moment. If we're not killing sin, it's killing us. 
Westminster Confession talks and writes, writes a whole chapter on the mortification of sin. Okay? You gotta kill sin in your life. Where is the sin in your life? Well, I, I don't know. I, I'm working on my own sin. I'm trying to kill the own, my own sin in my life. Because if I'm not killing that sin, then it's beginning to spread into other areas of my life. And Satan is going to use those other areas. I mean, if I'm, I'm not paying attention to that sin in my life, I'm like, oh, you know, I'll get to that one. Well, as soon as I say that one's okay or I'm not going to pay attention to it, Satan begins to work in other areas of my life and he brings those things up. And sin begins to spring up, rear its ugly head in different places. If we're not killing it, it's killing us. Scripture's pretty clear about temptation. What are we to do? Run away. Okay? Not just walk close by it and not be affected by it. Not just hang out with it and say, I'm not going to, it's not going to bother me. He says, we see it, you have to flee temptation. That's temptation, that's not even real sin yet. That's, you're only being tempted. He says, flee temptation. To walk with the Lord requires that we are purposeful and that we depend upon Him totally and utterly. Lord, I want to do Your Word. I'm having trouble. In my own strength, my own power, I just can't do it. He says, you're right, you can't do it. You have to rely upon me to follow me. That's what is going on in the psalmist's heart. That's what he's laying out for us. Lord, I'm, I'm in this struggle. I know I want to obey your word. I'm having such trouble doing it. We go back to that preacher, lawyer, senator, William Plummer. He said, these eight verses teach us that true piety is sincere, it's consistent, it's practical, it's heartfelt, it's intelligent, it is earnest, it is active, it is stirring, it is diligent, humble, it distrusts self, it is guileless, it is unspotted from the world, it renounces self, it is confident in God, it delights in thanksgiving, it is fully purposed to keep the law and ready to confess that without God's grace I cannot keep the law. I have to rely upon him. The psalmist gives us, and this is just the tip of the iceberg of Psalm 119, and, and we will not go through the whole thing. We'll kind of hit it here and there for a couple weeks, and, and, but don't worry. If, if Spurgeon preached 34, I can preach 34. <laughs> the Word of God must dwell in it, within us. If it does not, we cannot live lives that are holy. Let's pray. Lord, these are great words and these are tough words. These are great words in this fact that you tell us how we can do these things, how we can be blessed, how we can know your grace and your mercy in our lives. We have to know your word. We have to be in it. We have to have a time set each day in our lives to know your word, to study it, to read it, to meditate upon it, to just chew on it and, and enjoy it and know that it is good. And then we have to live it. Because your word is very clear. Not just knowing your precepts, not just knowing your statutes, but living them, walking in them. Knowing your ways, following your ways, and your word is clear. It is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. You lay the path of blessing out for us 
It is before us. How can we see it? It is lit by the knowledge and the application of your holy word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.